Good to see each and every one of you here. To the first-time visitors among us, it's a pleasure to have you here. We have a gift for you at the Connection Center out front. To those of you joining on our online campus, we greet each and every one of you and are so thankful for each and every one of you here today. Amen. I have a message for you this morning, and the title of the message is, Belief is Not a Doubt. Belief is Not a Doubt. And I've got two passages of scripture that I want us to look at this morning. John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32 is the first, and it says, To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The second passage is in John chapter 20, verse 24 through 29. John chapter 20, verse 24 through 29. We're looking at both of these passages in the New International Version this morning. The scripture says, Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, the word Didymus literally means the twin, one of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hand and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus, then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Amen. Amen. There is a little uh, video clip that's going around the interwebs right now, on the Facebooks, on the Instagrams, on the, uh, what's that other one, TikToks. And it's all over the place. And I've seen this a number of times, and the first time I watched it, I thought, this ain't going to fool nobody. But then I started seeing more and more believers liking that video. And I thought, what in the world? So I want to play you just a little clip from this video this morning. And my sermon today is going to be a response to this video. Go ahead, play that junk. Start it again. You need to hear how it starts. You got to hear it from the very beginning. Don't you know that being is a doubt? How is belief a doubt? Eh? How is belief? Does it cannot be something I'm knowing? Wait, wait, wait. I don't believe it. I know it. No. I know that I'm not going to be what you know or no. I like that. You can only believe in what you don't know. That's why you have to believe it. Yes. Ah. Now, do you believe in your mother and father? No, I know my mother and father. Yeah. So, but you 
Belief is not a doubt. It's so deceptive and so subtle. And you might ask yourself, Pastor, why would you take the time to respond to this nonsense? I'll tell you why, because a lot of people heard that and said, you know, that makes sense. You can only believe what you don't know, and therefore belief is a doubt. A lot of people heard that and thought, that makes sense. Let me tell you why it's so important that we understand the truth. Because Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says, By grace you have been saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So if the grace of God is received through your faith, and someone convinces you that your faith is devoid of knowledge, and therefore is equivalent to doubt, they have made you question the very foundation of your salvation. Wow. Now, there's two fundamental assumptions that this man makes yeah. in this video. Assumption number one, put it up on the screen. Assumption number one, faith and knowledge cannot exist together. You either believe or you know, never both. In other words, faith and knowledge are non-continuous. So he says, you can only believe what you don't know. And then he asked the man, do you believe in your mother and father? And he says, nope, I know my mother and father. Ah, right, because you can only believe what you don't know. And then he says, but you might believe in Jesus because you don't know Jesus. Second assumption is that faith and knowledge are antithetical. Faith is the opposite of knowledge and therefore the equivalent, therefore equivalent to doubt. So he says, if you only believe what you don't know, then faith is the antithesis of knowledge. It's the opposite of knowledge. And if faith is the opposite of knowledge, then it is equivalent with doubt. So therefore, faith is equal to doubt. So you believe in Jesus because you don't know Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, that means you doubt Jesus when you say you believe in him. The truth, what's the truth? is that faith and knowledge are continuous, which means you must believe in order to know. And your knowing enhances and increases your believing. You must believe in order to know, and your believing enhances, your, 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 your knowing enhances and increases your believing, and then your believing enhances and increases your knowing, and then your knowing enhances and increases your believing, and then your believing enhances and increases your knowing. That's the truth. All right, I need a volunteer. Just one person. Come on up, Joseph. Thank you for volunteering. <laughs> yeah, I saw you. No, stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up first. He looked over at me like, <laughs> All right, question. Yes, sir. Do you know that this chair will hold up your weight if you sit in it? 
Yes. Okay, get another chair. Because <laughs> you messed it up when you sat in it. <laughs> Pretend you didn't sit in it. How, do you know that this chair will hold up your weight? Say no. No. <laughs> right, because you haven't done the seismic calculations of how strong the legs would need to be in order to hold up your weight, right? Right. But do you believe this chair will hold up your weight? Yes. Why do you believe it? Experience? Because you've sat in many chairs before, and you're looking around, and there's a whole bunch of people sitting in this same chair, and it's holding up their weight, and you sat in that chair down there, and it held up your weight. So there's your belief that this chair will hold up your weight is not devoid of knowledge. No, it's through experience. So you've got some knowledge that is the foundation of your faith. Yeah. Okay, now sit in the chair. Do you know now that this chair will hold up your weight? Yes, I do. Did I mess it up? And again? No, you're, that was perfect. <laughs> and do you still believe it? I do. Why do you still believe it? Because my experience equals knowledge. Because your faith and your knowledge are not at odds with each other, yes. but in tandem with each other. Yeah. Now, the first time you sat in a chair, you had a little bit of faith that was supported by a little bit of knowledge. But every time you sat in a chair after that, yeah. your faith grew because your knowledge grew, yeah. and your knowledge grew because your faith grew, until it got to the point where you didn't think twice about sitting in a chair, because you believed, you trusted, and then you experienced, which increased your believing, which increased your trusting, which increased your experience. Amen? Okay, give Joseph a hand. Thank you, Joseph. I almost said give Joseph a hand clap of praise, but we're, <laughs> we're going to save that for the Lord. Um, a hand clap of thanks. All right. We're going to start with the John chapter 8 passage. John 8, 31. To the Jews who believed in him, Jesus is talking to people who already believe who already have faith. To the Jews who believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are truly my disciples. First thing to understand is that discipleship is more than mere believing. Wow. There's a lot of folks who believe in Jesus but are not disciples of Jesus. Because you can believe in him and not cling to his teaching and therefore you're not a disciple. Yeah. Jesus is inviting individuals who believe in him to move beyond belief to discipleship. But in entering into discipleship, they're not abandoning their believing. They're adding to their faith. This is 2 Peter, right? 2 Peter chapter 2, where he said, verse 5 and following, where he says, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith knowledge. Right? Make every effort to add to your faith. That is, when you obtain knowledge, you are adding to your faith, not replacing your faith. To the Jews who believed in him, Jesus said, if you cling to my teaching, you are truly my disciples, then you will know the truth. He says, you believed from believing, cling to my teaching, and the result of clinging to my teaching is you will know, you will have knowledge, which means that faith is the door to knowledge. Yeah, yeah. 
Faith is the path to knowledge. Faith is the way to knowledge. You only obtain knowledge if you begin with faith. And the, the core of the biblical definition of faith is trust. So a lot of people think faith is a, a leap in the dark. It's devoid of knowledge. Whenever I talk to people outside about Jesus who don't know Jesus, they love to say things like, I don't believe in blind faith. I'm too rational for that. And I'm like, I don't believe in blind faith either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Me, I'm, I mean, if it's blind faith, I don't want nothing to do with it. Yeah. I saw evidence of the lordship of Jesus. And that evidence compelled me to take a step of trust. And that trust was confirmed by a rejuvenating and transformative power that worked, that came into my heart to dwell there and started working on me. So it's not blind faith. Ain't nobody asking you to, do, to, to have some blind faith. We're asking you to take a step of faith based on evidence. You say, now, I don't have any evidence in my life that Jesus is Lord. Well, first, I can say you a lie. Because are you alive? That's evidence number one. Because you can look back over your life and see moments that should have taken you out, but didn't take you out. Moments that should have pulled you under, but didn't pull you under. And when you walk through a moment that should have pulled you under, but didn't pull you under, it should make you wonder. If it should have pulled you under, it should make you wonder, is there somebody upstairs looking down on me? Somebody bigger than I looking out for me? That's evidence enough. But secondly, just like Joseph could stand here on the platform and look out at all these people sitting in chairs and it's holding their weight, the second level evidence is the people in your life who have been transformed by the power of Jesus, the effect of the faith. That's evidence. You know, one of our, one of our friends, our missionary friends in Indonesia, we met him in Indonesia, was an atheist. But his uncle and aunt went to this evangelistic crusade, and his uncle had a jacked-up mouth. He had a mouth full of cavities and rotten teeth because they didn't have access to dental care where they lived. And the Lord healed his mouth completely, supernaturally. This guy was an atheist, but he heard his uncle tell that story. And then his uncle opened up his mouth. He had seen inside his uncle's mouth all his life and saw how rotten his teeth were. Now he's looking to, into his uncle's mouth and seeing a perfect mouth full of teeth. He said, that screwed up my worldview. Jesus hadn't done anything for him, but Jesus did something for his uncle. Jesus hadn't changed me yet, but he changed my uncle. He said, when I saw what God did for somebody else, it was enough to screw up my worldview. A lot of folks have not taken the step to trust in Christ because you haven't seen him do anything for you yet. Anything explicit for you. Can I tell you how ridiculous that is? That's like saying, I'm not investing my money because the bank hasn't given me any interest yet. So when the bank gives me interest, then I'll deposit my money in it. 
I'm not buying a house because I haven't got no equity yet. When they give me equity, then I'll buy the house. I'm not trusting Jesus because he hasn't changed my life yet. When he changes my life, then I'll trust in Jesus. I'm not going to the gym because I haven't lost no weight yet. When I get in shape, then I'll start going to the gym. I'm not going to the doctor because they haven't given me no medicine yet. When they give me some medicine, then I'll go to the doctor. I'm not going to church because I haven't experienced the presence of God yet. When I experience the, do you see how ridiculous that is? There's this whole rational mind that demands evidence without trust. Demands benefits without commitment. Demands a result without a process. I don't want to trust. I don't want to take a step. I don't want to commit to nothing. I just want all the benefits. And we forget that the benefits in Scripture are for the righteous. Every single one of them. And the righteous are defined as those who believe. Who believe what? That Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he died on the cross for our sins, that God raised him from the dead and seated at him at his right hand, far above all power and principality and dominion and might, that from thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead, and that I'm going to have to stand before him one day, so I better trust him now for my salvation. That's what you got to believe, and if you believe that, God declares you righteous. And therefore, all of the benefits of Scripture apply to you. Jesus says, if you cling to my teaching, now that you've believed, you need to cling to my teaching. This was the problem with doubting Thomas, who was called Didymus, the twin. But they never tell us who his twin was. Is it you? Are you the twin? Because Thomas said, Unless I put my finger in the nail prints in his hands. And he didn't just say, I got to see it. He said, no, I got to stick my finger in it. I got to put my finger into his side. I'm not believing because I see it or because you told me you saw it. I got to touch him or else I will not believe. I don't know why I gave Thomas a British accent. I don't. <laughs> Doesn't it just sound so dignified? Well, I don't have enough evidence to believe in God. The heavens declare the glory of God. The wonder of his works declares the firmament. Day unto day utters its voice. Night unto night pours forth speech. Their voice has gone out into all the earth. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Jesus appears and says, Thomas, see this? Put your finger in there. Come on, your finger, do like that. Put your finger in there. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Here, Thomas, stick your finger in there. Go ahead, Thomas, right there. And Thomas goes, my Lord and my God, kurios kai Christos. Kurios kai theos. 
Sorry about that to you theologians out there. My Lord and my God. And Jesus says, Thomas, you believe because you've seen. But blessed is he who believes, though he has not seen. Translation, Thomas, I'm graciously making an example of you. I'm coming to you graciously in your unbelief to set you free. But I want to make it clear at this moment that this is not what I'm going to do for everybody. I want to let it be known for all time and for the rest of history that if you want to know me, you got to believe me first. See, there was this whole concept in the Middle Ages called understanding seeking faith. And there was this dude named Anselm of Canterbury who reversed it and said, no, 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 no. Faith seeking understanding. You say, I want to understand so that I may believe, but I say, I believe so that I may understand. Now, I have a friend, a very dear friend, actually a family member, who came to me weeping one day. He said, I don't believe that Jesus is real. I said, why is that? He said, because I got on my knees and prayed, Jesus, if you are real, save me. And he said, I said the sinner's prayer, and nothing happened. He didn't come to me. He didn't change me. He didn't save me. And I was so troubled by that. I went to prayer, and I didn't, I didn't have an answer for him. And I went to prayer and began to seek the faith. I said, Lord, you said if anyone comes to me, I will by no means cast him out. Yeah. You said whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You said if we confess with our mouths the Lord Jesus and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. You said the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It doesn't, it's not possible in my mind that somebody should call upon the name of the Lord and ask him for salvation and repent of their sin and you not come in and saved him. Yeah. And you know what the Lord said to me? I saved him when he asked me to. Yeah. Yeah. What he needs is discipleship. He expected his whole life to be magically transformed at the moment of faith. And he abandoned it when his life didn't immediately transform. That's like buying a house and expecting millions of dollars in equity the moment you close escrow. That's like walking into the gym and saying, I haven't lost no weight. That's like going to the doctor and saying, I took the first pill and I'm still sick. What he needs is discipleship. Jesus says to the Jews who believed in him, take the next step. Cling to my teaching. Cling to my teaching. Let me tell you something. You need to be reading the Gospels more than watching clips on Facebook and Instagram. Because too many believers are out there getting their theology from nonsense that, and listening to all kinds of teachings and not realizing that there is a very subtle spirit that is at work to destroy the faith of believers in Jesus Christ. And that spirit is called the spirit of unbelief. And clips like this dude that we just watched at the beginning of the service, there's a million different kinds of those kinds of clips out there. And believers are just out there eating it up and listening to 20 and 30 and 40 different false teachers out there who are not realizing that the enemy is subtly using them to destroy your faith. Wow. Yeah. 
And you just eat it up. But don't have two scriptures to rub together. Jesus says, if you cling to my teaching, you are truly my disciples. Almost, there's really, really only two purposes of the local church or two outcomes that we're looking for. The first is to facilitate the transition from non-faith to faith. That is to help people who don't know Jesus come to faith in Jesus. The second is to facilitate the transition from faith to discipleship, to help folks who believe in Jesus become actual disciples of Jesus. And what I discover is that the first transition is so much easier than the second. And the first one is not easy. (laughs) Sometimes you can spend a lifetime trying to convince one believer to become a disciple. Jesus only had 12. But yet thousands attended his meetings, but he had 12 disciples. By the end, actually, there were 120 that met in an upper upper room. The 12 were the core, the 120 were the, commi- the, the, the committed. Yeah. In every church, there's a core, and then there's a committed. One of the committed was a guy named Mark. He actually wrote one of the Gospels in the New Testament. You realize Mark was not one of the 12. Yeah. He was not in the inner room with Jesus when he was teaching his disciples, but he was so committed that he stuck his ear in the window yeah. when Jesus was teaching his disciples. Yeah. And he got just as much from that as the other disciples did, so much so that he was able to write one of the Gospels. Even though he wasn't chosen one of the twelve, you might think to yourself, well, I'm not one of the chosen. I'm not one of the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. I'm not a brother, deacon, elder. I don't have a position. Yes, but you can stick your ear in the window. You can be devoted. Listen, if one believe, the weakest believer who devotes themselves to the teaching of Jesus, who clings to the teaching of Jesus, can become more powerful than you could ever imagine. Powerful enough to rebuke the devil. Powerful enough to overcome sickness and disease. Powerful enough to see the kingdom of heaven come in your context. Jesus says, If you cling to my teaching, how do you cling to his teaching? First, you got to read it. Read the Gospels. Read what Jesus said. Start from Matthew and then go to Mark and then go to Luke and then go to John and realize that the rest of the New Testament are the apostles reflecting upon and expanding what Jesus taught fundamentally in the Gospels. They wrote what they wrote because they clinged to the teaching of Jesus. They were disciples of Jesus. And yes, they received revelation from heaven, but it was not over and against the revelation that Jesus gave in the Gospels. It was an expansion and articulation and a reflection upon what Jesus gave in the Gospels. Read the Gospels and listen to the teaching of Jesus. Cling to it. Read it. Number two, memorize it. Just start hiding it in your heart. We got real quiet in here. When I said read it, y'all clapped. When I said memorize it, it's like. You know what we're doing in men's discipleship? We're just memorizing scripture. That's what we're doing. We're just memorizing scripture. 
Every Saturday morning, I got, if you came in here on Saturday morning, you'll see a group of guys standing or sitting right here in the front going, this I say therefore, and testifying the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful us and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That's what they were doing. They'll be doing right here in the front row. And there's men in this room right now that I could call up to the platform and they would do that right now. What I just did. And a lot of those same men would tell you if, if you asked them two months ago, I, I'm not good at memorizing scripture. It's not my gift. Can I tell you something? If, if memory is not your strong suit, then it's even more powerful for you to memorize scripture. Yeah. I got a buddy in seminary who had the hardest time. We took Greek together. We called it kamikaze Greek. It was, a full, it was 12 units of Greek in one, one quarter, 12 hours in the classroom every week. And we, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, we had two tests. First, we had a vocab test from 8 to 8.30. Then we had a grammar test from 8.30 to 9.00. Memory is my strong suit. So we had a list of about 50 words we had to memorize every Monday, another 50 every Wednesday, another 50 every Friday. I rolled out of bed, grabbed that list, five-minute walk to class, memorized that list, sat down, took the test, done in five minutes, went and played pool for the other 25. Most of the rest of the class struggled for the next 25 minutes and barely got it done. Then the grammar test, we had to translate he would give us the Greek New Testament, some, some verse from the Greek New Testament. I would get two words into the trans translation and realize I knew the verse. So I would just write out the rest of the <laughs> So I'm done in five minutes, and the rest of the class struggles for the next 30. One of my buddies thought I was failing. He's like, you just give up after five minutes. And then he opened my binder and saw 99, 100%, 98, 90, everything was 97% or better. He's like, how are you doing this? It's not possible. My buddy John Mark, he studied eight hours a day outside of the classroom, still took that whole hour to take both of those tests, and still barely passed the class with like a C minus. Guess what? Today, that same friend John Mark Robeck has a PhD in New Testament theology. <laughs> what I couldn't do he did it, and now he's head of graduate studies at Vanguard University in Southern California. I ran into him recently. You know what he said? How can I help you get your PhD, Benjamin? <laughs> you can do it, bro. I believe in you. <laughs> Same stuff I was saying to him in Greek. Now, let me tell you the difference. I'd memorized those 50 words on the way to class, pass the test, and forget them within 24 hours because my short-term memory gave me the illusion that I had it when I didn't. He would study the same words for eight hours. The difference between him and me, I deposited it in short-term memory. He deposited it in long-term memory. He still has those words. I have to go back and review them all the time. If it takes you longer to memorize scripture, that means it's better for you because you're actually putting it in long-term memory and you'll never lose it. 
Amen. Amen. Number one, read it. Number two, memorize it. And then number three, share it. Discuss it. This is what our community groups are all about. Talk to somebody about it and say, hey, listen, I've been reading this passage of scripture and, I, and I'm, I'm wrestling with this. Jesus says, if you cling to my teaching, you are truly my disciples. And then he says, then you will know the truth. Now, the truth in Western culture is a set of propositions that are logical and coherent. But the truth in scripture is a person. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says, I am the truth. Literally, he says, if you cling to my teaching, you are truly my disciples, then you shall know the truth, me. Then you'll know me, and the truth, me, will make you free. Another place he says, whom the son says free, he's free indeed. He says, you'll know me. First you believe, then you cling to my teaching, then you know me. And then I make you free. This is the gospel. This is the Christian faith in a nutshell. This is what faith is supposed to do is start you on a journey towards growing ever deeper in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you why faith will always be a necessity. Because knowledge is never exhaustive. In other words, if you knew everything, you would no longer need faith. I know my wife, we've been married 23 years, but I still believe in her. Why? Because I don't know everything about her. An argument is a sign that we still don't get each other in some levels. And there are levels where we still don't get each other. But in those levels where we don't get each other, you know what we have? We have faith. So our faith works with our knowledge, and our knowledge works with our faith. And because we have faith, we keep trusting each other. And because we keep trusting each other, we keep learning about one another. And because we keep learning about one another, we keep trusting each other. And because we keep trusting each other, we keep learning about one another. Our faith brings more knowledge. Our knowledge brings more faith. And our relationship and our love grows in that cycle. Listen, if you trust Jesus, you learn about him. And if you learn about him, you trust him more. And if you trust him more, you learn more about him. And if you learn more about him, you trust him more. And if you trust him more, you learn more about him. And if you learn more about him, you trust him more. And the most powerful thing is that you will spend the rest of eternity learning more about him and trusting him more. Even in heaven, you cannot be given exhaustive knowledge of who he is. You will spend the rest of eternity discovering more. And this is why in Isaiah 6, the angels never stop crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They never stop crying out, holy. Do you know what the word holy means? It means different. Literally, the angels spend an eternity standing before God going, oh, I just saw something different. Oh, I just saw something different. Oh, I just saw something different. Oh, I just saw... 10,000 years later, oh, I just saw something different. A million years later, oh, I just saw something different. Holy, 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 holy. And the more you know him, the more you love him. And the more you love him, the more you trust him. And the more you trust him, the more you know him. And the more you know him, the more you love him. And the more you love him, the more you trust him. But you got to make a decision to add to your faith. Add to your faith. Add to your faith. Your faith needs a little knowledge. 
Your knowledge needs a little self-control. Your self-control needs a little brotherly kindness. Your brotherly kindness needs, needs a little, uh, what's after brotherly kindness? Love. And he says, if you possess these things in increasing measure, you'll be neither barren nor unproductive in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith is not a doubt. Don't let anybody tell you that your faith is a doubt. Don't let anybody tell you that you believe in Jesus because you don't know him. No, I believe in him and I know him and I know him and I believe in him and I believe in him and I know him and I know him and I believe in him. And because I believe in him, I'll keep knowing him because I know him, I'll keep believing in him. But it takes a step of faith. Uh, ben, come back to the piano. I'm going to give you one last little example. Do you know the whole concept of the leap of faith? You've heard of the leap of faith? It was given to us by a philosopher named Soren Kierkegaard. When Soren Kierkegaard was a little boy, he lived out in the countryside with his father, and he and his dad would go for walks late at night. They were on a walk one night, and they came upon this huge hole in the ground. And there were no street lights out there, so it was dark, just moonlight. His father climbed down into that hole and disappeared. And his father said, Soren, jump. I'll catch you. And Soren said, but dad, I can't see you. And his dad said, son, I can see you. This is the concept of the leap of faith. It's not blind faith. It's hearing the voice of the father saying, jump, I'll catch you. It's hearing the voice of the father say, you might not be able to see me, but I can see you. You might not know where I am, but I know where you are. You might not know me, but I know you. Jump, I'll catch you. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Jump, I'll catch you. I can't see you, Dad, but I can see you, son. And God wants you to know the day that he has full knowledge of you. He knows everything about you more than you know about yourself. But he's still got faith for you. <laughs> Even though he has all knowledge of you, he still has faith for you. The one who knows the most about you still believes in you. Why does he believe in you? Because he knows what he will do for you. He has faith in what he can do and what he will do if you surrender your life to him. Bow your heads with me this morning. And even those of you who are on the live stream, I know you can be tempted to zone out, but I want you to pay and give me your absolute attention right now. And I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Even the little children that are listening under the sound of my voice in the homes, bow your heads and close your eyes. Jesus is inviting you. Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden. First and foremost, there are those of you who are listening and watching you haven't taken the step of trust in Jesus. You've allowed all of your questions and all of your doubts to keep you from taking the first step. And you're waiting for him to do something to convince you. As if dying on the cross wasn't enough. As if rising again from the dead wasn't enough. As if surrounding you with people who love him and whose lives have been changed by him wasn't enough. And the word of the Lord to you today is stop waiting. Take a step. If you want interest, you got to invest. If you want equity, you got to buy the house. If you want health, you got to take the medicine. Come to me.
Jesus is inviting you to that place of faith. And I'm just going to ask right now, if that's you today, under the sound of my voice, nobody's looking around, everybody's head bowed, everybody's eyes closed, if that's you today, and you're ready to take that step, I want you to just lift your hand right where you are. Thank you, Lord. If you're watching online and you're ready to take that step, I want you to put just a, a, a note in the chat right now and just say, that's me. Just drop that in the chat right now. Say, that's me. That's me. If you're listening to this on the podcast later, I want you to send me an email personally, pb at lineage.us. Say, that was me. I'm ready to take that step. That was me. That was me. Secondly, you've taken that step, but now you're ready to take the second step. Cling to his teaching. Discipleship. Now you're ready to walk close with him. You say, I've been walking in faith, but now I need to become a disciple and I'm ready for that. Just lift your hand right where you are. You say, I'm, I'm just taking a step, taking a step. I see that hand. 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 How powerful. I see that hand. I see that hand. How powerful is that? How powerful is that? And it's simple. Listen, I'm so thankful for each and every one of you who lifted your hands. But let me tell you that the enemy is going to beat you up and try to tell you that you're not a good disciple. Try to tell you that you're not doing it enough. First thing I want you to know is that shame is the least profitable thing for a disciple of Jesus Christ. Secondly, the Lord sees your heart. And it's God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So now that God has worked in you to will, begin to ask God to work in you to do. And that's the prayer right now. God, you have worked in me to will to be a disciple of Jesus. Now work in me to do. If you're in the online, put that in the chat. That's me. That's me. I'm saying yes to discipleship. Just put that in the chat. Yes to discipleship. Yes to discipleship. And I want us to just pray, just pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, you have worked in me to will to become a disciple of Jesus. Now work in me to do as a disciple does. To cling to your teaching that I might know the truth and that the truth might set me free. I'm making a decision today. I will cling to your teaching that I might know the truth, that the truth might make me free. In Jesus' name, amen, 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 amen. Stand up on your feet right now and just give God a shout of praise. Can you do that? Thank you, Lord. Amen. Lift your hands to the Lord. Precious Heavenly Father, I thank you today that you are speaking to hearts, that you're destroying the lies of the enemy that would bring us into deception, that you are revealing the truth that would bring us into freedom. I thank you that it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. We will not be entangled again in a yoke of bondage. I speak blessing and encouragement over every soul in this house today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. God bless you, have a wonderful week. If you need prayer, we got prayer warriors at this altar who will pray for you. Amen. God bless you.